državljandi podcast za aktivne državljane. Hello, uh, today is 15 of March. You're listening to another international uh, edition of Citizen D podcast. With us today is Andrea Belou from Copenhagen, Denmark. Yes, we went even further up north. Uh, Andrea was supposed to come uh, in in the beginning of March to the Crypto Party Slovenia, but shall we say nature got in the way? Yes, nature, the human nature, the all types of nature. Yes. <laughs> uh, but you learned an important lessons uh, lesson. You know, ice ice cycling is not for you. Well, yeah, I guess so. Ice cycling and also tornadoes and especially when in uh, uh, cross streets, yeah, they tend to hit a lot harder. <laughs> well, I hope, I hope uh, the, uh, you're getting better now or that you're okay now. Uh, today we're going to talk about, um, about a topic you, let's say, specialize in your work working for the opt-in for privacy NGO and also as a as a researcher we're going to talk about content regulation and not just any content regulation but the content regulation online with different uh, parties having different ideas how should we as a society as a as a as a yeah as a society uh, how should we uh, come about it and maybe my first general question to you would be how do you think that debate is going well, the debate, I think there's not much of a debate, at least not one incorporating us two. Um, the debate is mainly between um, online service providers, so uh, Facebook, Twitter, social media, basically anyone who facilitates uh, the uploading and distribution of content and um, legislative bodies, mostly at European level. Um, that is where I think uh, the, the, the debate is situated at. But also I think um, what most uh, civil society organizations have raised concern uh, on are content uh, regulation filters. And it is this common solution that has been proposed through different laws uh, invoking different reasons, the common solution of automated content filters. Mm -hmm. And I think this poses um, diverse and complex issues to our freedoms, not only in the online space, but in the offline world as well, which is much connected to our online um presence so this is what i think at the moment um eu bodies are pushing for uh, they want fast bulky content removal so they want a lot of they want to see results fast results and a lot of results um and platforms are of course um yeah, negotiating. Mm. So, uh, before we we go into the, the the crux of the of the problem, namely who's the bad guy and who's the good guy here, uh, can I get a few comments on the, 
let's say on the changing of feeling towards you know the the internet the the content providers that happened recently maybe it had to do something with the american elections maybe it had yeah. to do with the general uprising of the extreme right and stuff but you know looking at google facebook only a year ago you'd see you would think about them as the good guys and now they're sort of i mean at the best they're not good anymore at worst they're the bad guys in this scenario yeah um so when i think it became more obvious that their business model is facilitating the distribution of certain content that might not be legal that might be nasty to encounter and sometimes really dangerous for our democracies for example um when we think about illegal content there is of course hate speech there is copyrighted material there is terrorist propaganda but dangerous content is also content that is not illegal per se or there is no legislation that says this is illegal such as fake news there is no law that says this is a definition of what fake news are nevertheless these have proven to be so terrible for the way we interact with our uh, representatives for the way we uh, um, understand politics for the way we vote for the way um, the economy is devel developing around such um, uh, dynamics. So I think um, much of the uh, debate has been influenced by the Russian um, or the alleged Russian uh, implication into the US elections, but also about the uh, news of the, I think, Macedonian city where a lot of its uh, citizens were um, uh, distributing yeah. yeah distributing fake news online and profiting from the advertisement placed on these fake news because they learned the algorithms ways and th this algorithm is part of a business model they weren't the villains here they were actually high school students so but they learned how the business model works, how the algorithm works. And they realize that, pff, let's make some fast money. Mm. So, uh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I think, uh, to wrap it up, I think this these revelations, some, um, uh, some that were uh, strategized and some that weren't necessarily strategized proved that yeah, well, it's not just a platform. Mm -hmm. It is a business model, mm -hmm. you know? Because uh, it's interesting to, to consider that the business model hasn't changed. So this is not something new in a way that Google, Facebook and, and other uh, content providers or intermediaries have always behaved in, in such a way. And we're only now seeing the problematic side of as you said, algorithms, uh, content distribution, uh, no content regulation or very little content regulation in regards to what is being allowed to spread on the on the social media, on the networking sites and stuff. Why do you think that is? I mean, why do you think we needed such 
such a rude wake-up call to, I mean, wake up. Yeah, I think um, it becomes sp uh, spectacularly, amazingly um, blunt in our face when a business model is used for political purposes. And it is until now and up until now and continuously businesses have been using this um, these algorithms to promote their products and services mm -hmm. but I think we are right now at the peak of political use of um, content distribution so to say and I think um, that it has been um, a wake-up call to see how content can be directed to us or subtracted from our view or orchestrated for political uses and up until now the dangers um, economic advertising or commercial advertising has been posing have been sort of ignored yeah we turn into consumers yeah blah 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 we spend more of our money yeah but all of a sudden we realize that well it's not just our pockets that suffer from this uh, content orchestration and information orchestration is also our political systems is also our democracies or or is also our elections so i think this has been the wake-up call and many people did not think that trump will win mm -hmm. and many people um, found it absurd that even thinking about such a result of elections and still if you look at his campaign strategies you would understand how much social media played uh, and how much paid advertisement on social media influenced this compared to Hillary's focus on more classical uh, um, yeah, media uh, such as podcasting. I mean, yeah. uh, talking about Trump, it's amazing to, to not see the comparison between him and Obama on the field of, of digital political marketing because Obama was the, the pioneer you know, the first campaign using Twitter and Facebook and other social media. And nobody at that time figured it out or thought that, oh, this is this can also be very bad if it if the tool is used, you know, against us or, or in another direction. And it's again amazing to see the the prevalence of of the coolness factor, I call it. Mm -hmm. that Facebook and Google and Amazon and other digital intermediaries have Sports, I mean, in, in regards to politics, you know, politicians wants to be cool, Polit politician wants to be a cool guy, so he takes a picture next to a LinkedIn poster or in front of Google offices in, I don't know, in Brussels or in, in Silicon Valley, and, and that builds up, you know, this perceived cred of, oh, look, I'm hip, I'm savvy, I know digital, you know, and, and now at the same time, I mean, now we're seeing you know, the exact opposite. We're seeing um, some pushback or some careful changing of the of the perception that these are not good guys per se, Google, Facebook and others, and that they need to be in a way regulated. You know? I think 
It is. It, I totally agree with what you're saying about the coolness factor. And I think um, Trump built on Obama's uh, strategy, but made it so much more uh, complex and so much more up to date. Um, he he did not he does not tweet like a president he tweets like the people he wants to be elected by mm -hmm. he tweets like a bro he tweets like a, a youngster he tweets like whoever that tweet is targeted towards mm -hmm. he tweets like an army veteran he tweets like it everything is conceived so that it tickles someone in particular. Mm -hmm. So I don't think Obama thought it that uh, much because in the end it was in the past, years in the past, and since then a lot of sentiment analysis and a lot of psychological, psychometric uh, targeting has been developing. So, and Trump only took what is readily available, um, mm -hmm. if you think about it, and pushed exactly the right buttons mm. or exactly the wrong buttons depends on oh, the definition de yeah exactly yeah. depends on which side you're on but i think uh, while i am um, uh, disturbed by these realities i am still amazed at the the minds behind them i mean these are technological complexities these are psychological complexities these are um, an intertwinement of perspectives that these minds are combining. Mm. And I think this is, we, we really need to um, have a multilateral approach to looking at these problems. It's not just a legal issue, it's not just a technological problem, it's not just human psychology, it's all combined. Mm. But moving on to, to the content regulation and to the problem of fake news, whatever that is, or whatever you might call it. Uh, the, the, the EU versus intermediaries debate, we've mentioned it in the beginning, um, is, not, is not going the right way, especially as you mentioned, you know, politicians want something fast within one mandate so they can put a pin in their label and say, look, we solved everything, we're the best. Um, do you think that that can backfire, or do you think the the current um, the current ideas of of the European Union of the European Commission can pose even a greater threat than the fake news itself? For them or for us? <laughs> <laughs> Good question. Um, I think it can pose a huge. Um, backfire to European values, mm -hmm. to what distinguishes us from Chinese internet. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, I think this can go against the pillars of European uh, society mm -hmm. and even European economy, uh, but that's a different, um, different debate. Um, when it comes to fake news, the debate is only at the beginning. Actually, a couple of um, days ago, um, EU experts um, 
put up a report on fake news. So they had suggestions on um, what should constitute a um, code of principles for online platforms and social networks, because as I said, there is no law, so they're, they're taking it step by step. And it's, it's very funny because um, Bilk, uh, the umbrella group for 43 national consumer organizations, um, pointed that these experts' report failed to address one core cause of fake news, and that is the business model of these platforms. So, and that is with emerging legislation on fake news, a term that has not been yet defined in terms of legal illegal, but. Um, we're looking at legislation around hate speech, around copyrighted material, and a lot and around terrorist propaganda. Mm-hmm. And we are seeing this uh, concept of automated content filters that I uh, told you about. Mm-hmm. Um, and these automated content filters are they exist as technological solutions, for example, uh, YouTube's content ID. Mm-hmm. No? Um, and if you look at the failures uh, of content ID alone, not even um, going further, um, it's very easy to see how, how uh, technologically uh, fallible it is. So, for example, it cannot um, identify copyright exceptions. Um, it cannot uh, say, well, this content uh, is for educational purpose. There was a, um, I think, a Harvard uh, lecture on copyright law mm-hmm. uploaded on YouTube. And during that lecture, the teacher um, showed a, a video, uh, like a music video, mm-hmm. to give an example of uh, whatever he was talking about. And YouTube took down that uh, lecture recording because it heard the music in it. Mm-hmm. So it didn't even realize that this is a recording of a lecture on copyright. If only it would have heard what the teacher was saying on copyright, you know, that would have been much better. <laughs> but on one side, um, another guy uploaded 10 hours of um white noise. He had five copyright infringements. Mm -hmm. Mm. In uh, Denmark, actually, something very interesting happened. Um, The Social Democrats released a uh, plan for immigration policies that was highly criticized by many NGOs. One of the NGOs took the video and remixed it. Within a couple of hours, they got uh, threats uh, that used copyright uh, infringement claims mm-hmm. to take that video down. And they took it down because they didn't want to get into a legal fight with the... But if a um, content, if an automated filter uh, for content would have been in place, the party wouldn't have even had to contact the NGO because the filter would have done the job for them because it wouldn't have recognized that satire is an exception to copyright mm-hmm. you know so when we have such automated content filters we don't realize that they can work against 
what um, what constitutes the value of a democracy, freedom of speech, mm. freedom to express political dissent through satire, for example. Mm. But, uh, um, sorry, just going back to this uh, to this special group of uh, of um, experts dealing with with uh, fake news. We also have one guy from Slovenia in there. Um, I'm going to say he's not very popular in some circles, um, but uh, I, I found it interesting that the first thing the, this, uh, this special group did in, in their first report was basically say, oh, no, 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 we need to redefine what constitutes fake news. And I find it interesting because you know within the same group you have representatives from Google, from from other organizations, which, in my opinion, clearly influenced the redefining of the term so that they can, in a way, again, escape their own responsibility, you know? So, yeah. they, you know, oh, no, 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 this is not our fault. We're just, you know, delivering content. What people are doing with this content, we don't want any part of, of this debate. While, in fact, you can see that, as you said, by algorithms, by, by different means of, of advanced mathematics, they're actually, you know, pushing the content and, and distributing it unevenly across the network using some sort of formulas. And maybe my question to you would be, again, you know, uh, one of the recommendations they did, or we keep hearing, especially from across the pond, is basically we need more transparency. We need the people to be aware of the things that are happening in the background. My question would be, do you think that's really all it will take? Or do you think the users just need the transparency to figure out that something bad is going on and that you know we need to, we need to be aware of the bad things that go on online? Definitely no. We cannot um, shove responsibility for everything that's going on in terms of illegal content to users. Um, definitely not. I think transparency is important. Um, so, in terms of targeting, I would like to see more of why am I being the target of such advertising, for example. I think political uh, advertisement should even, I, w I won't say that it should not be allowed because somehow it will be there and it's better to know that it's political rather than not. Mm -hmm. But I think it should carry special characters because, well, <laughs> because I'm not uh, voting for a McDonald's CEO, I'm voting for a... Uh, you know, political leader that will mm -hmm. take decisions. Mm -hmm. um, so I think more transparency uh, around political advertisement. But I also think that platforms should take uh, should invest resources in perhaps trusted teams that moderate content. And I'm not talking about the moderators, the underpaid. Um, human um, factories in um, third world countries. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about teams with diverse ethnicities, nationalities, gender, political backgrounds that kind of 
um, balance each other's biases. Teams that are um, trained, teams that are obviously um, skilled, and transparent criteria of moderation as well. Because at the moment, I think there is um, a very chaotic, uh, loose, uh, make what you want out of it uh, kind of framework around it. Um, so this is on the side of uh, companies. On the side of legislative bodies, I think that um, there should be cooperation in finding out what is the European definition of hate speech, fake news, um, and make sure that these terms and conditions are applied according to the European values. Um, I'm saying this because on one hand, different states have different definition of hate speech, for example, and a uh, EU commission study actually concluded there are huge disparities between the 10 states that they looked at. Mm -hmm. So how can we, you know, ask a company to come up with something that works for all? I don't think that is possible. So I think we should have, you know, a definition that supports our European values. Um, another thing that uh, is problematic with taking each country separately is that, well, if countries with poor human rights are uh, asking um, our platforms to moderate according to them, uh, for example, uh, Turkey um, asked um, uh, Facebook to remove content um, of certain journalists, um, or uh, Israel asked uh, the removal of some Palestinian human rights uh, supporters as well. The thing is that when we have countries imposing their own ideas of what is hate speech, what is fake news, the platform will basically end up with the biggest common denominator, which is this, um, how to say, this vague, uh, minimalistic um, definition of certain illegal content. So we will have censorship of everything on a very uh, strict basis, just in case it might uh, infringe on Turkish values or mm -hmm. on, uh, you know, and once a country requires it, other countries will do it too. So that's why I think it's important to have a European definition to come up with, okay, what do we want Facebook to censor this exact definition? Mm -hmm. Then, yeah, yeah. No, then again, ahead, yeah. if and I think if the definition is too uh, wide, that means that you know, well, we can censor anything. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it, I think civil society organizations should um, participate in these um, in these um, roundtables in the legislative process and. Yeah, human rights should be part of the debate as well. But 
to play a devil's advocate for a moment, I mean, with, with the current polarization of the political sphere of the even the, the public uh, the public society, do you think that debate will really bring about some sort of result? Because, I mean, the problem we have, let's say, in Slovenia is that even the media outlets are becoming more and more polarized and that you can't have a normal discussion about what's right and what's not right because everybody, in a way, is looking out for their platform. And I think that that's happening, again, with you know Google and Facebook and others. They're just taking care of their business model and they're constantly saying, please just don't regulate us. We'll play this self-regulation <laughs> fake game, but please don't touch us from the from the outside, you know, because then you'll you'll basically kill off our our business model. Yeah, I like to think about politics as a theater, as a spectacle on stage and behind the stage. Mm -hmm. Behind the stage, everyone shakes hands. There is no conflict of interest. In front of on the stage, there are roles that are being played. Um, co um, no, political polarization is part of the onstage act. Mm -hmm. um, platforms do not care whether extremist content comes from the left or from the right. It's profitable. It's good. Mm -hmm. um, when we look behind closed doors, we will realize that the debate is uh, there is much more compromise allowed to be on the table. So I think this this uh, polarization happens only in front of spectators. Mm -hmm. So I do think compromises can be reached when the debate does not take place in the media. In the in the when it's not uh, um, so we should have a public discussion in private. I think we should have um, trusted civil society actors contribute to existing closed doors debates. I do not think that political figures should. Um, inform the publics on Facebook what about their daily agenda, like Facebook, does, uh, like Trump does. I'm following him. I'm mm -hmm. huge, huge fan. Okay. Um, <laughs> I do not think this sort of uh, populism is great. What I do think is that if they want to be transparent, if our representative want to be transparent, they should allow civil society representatives be part of the debate. These are lawyers, these are human rights lawyers, these are technology heads that can actually tell that a technological solution is not feasible, it fails, even though it sounds good in political terms, it will not work. Or a lawyer telling, I'm sorry, this is violating the right to privacy, or perhaps um, the European Human Rights Court's ruling, like actually the 
automated content filter is doing. So I think um, experts that support the public's interest should be allowed in, not only experts that uh, care for, I don't know, political stability or economic empowerment and so on and so forth. I think this is what we need more. Okay. Um, and since we're slowly wrapping up and I mean, we could talk for for hours on this on this topic, but but maybe for for the last part, are there some uh, actual tips for the end user, which can help us or them, you know, try to be productive in this debate or try to to um, to contribute to this debate around content regulation, fake news, media literacy. Are there some some advices you would give or you would like to give to to the listeners of, of this past of this podcast, which will help them, you know, participate, engage and maybe help solve this this conundrum that we have right now? Yeah. First of all, I think um, users should educate themselves uh, around what is going on at the moment uh, on this topic because little is being communicated to the general public. Um, I think and a great way of doing this is by following uh, active campaigns um, such as the one against the copyright reform proposal. Um, and in, in the context of this campaign, they will understand a more general trend towards automated content regulation. Um, a great uh, source of doing this is European Digital Rights, EDRI, um, that are a umbrella of 35 NGOs working on um, digital rights at European level. Um, and once they understand what are the pros and contras, what are the issues with automated content regulation, get in touch with our representatives that are actually voting on these proposals. Um, our European parliamentaries can be reached easily. It is free to call them and they have a responsibility uh, to pick up and listen to us. Mm -hmm. It is, um, you know, we should not think about this as being a uh, fancy move. It's a very, I will not say duty, but it is not a uh, out of the ordinary, mm -hmm. you know, it is just civic engagement. Um, so I think first step, get informed. Second, take action. And if you follow um, these campaigns from edri.org, if that helps to reach them, it will be much easier to understand what can be, how can MEPs be contacted? What are your country's MEPs? Because it's, they change and it's difficult to keep track. How to uh, formulate the issues around them and what to ask from them. I think it's it's important to know for MEPs to know that they are monitored and their decisions are um, looked upon and we know what's going on. We know what's happening. This is not happening behind the curtain. There's a 
actually they forgot to close it that well. <laughs> okay, um, thanks so much, Andrea, for for uh, coming to our podcast for for talking about these these topics. Uh, we wish you the best in your uh, future fights for for the better internet, and uh, I'm sure we'll we'll meet again. Thank you for inviting me and uh, allowing me to talk about such a great topic. And I hope you uh, continue having this podcast. <laughs> it sounds like a great uh, topics you choose. <laughs> Thank you. And, uh, keep Thank you.